Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel for Jews and Gentiles alike. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the second reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. The proclamation of John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stories to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So I have to be totally honest with you. I hadn't spoken out loud to a human person since two days ago. 
until this morning, and I did not realize how horrible I sound, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> I don't feel anywhere near as bad as I sound. Poem this morning is from Anne Weems' Kneeling in Bethlehem. This is entitled Angel-Filled Advent. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Advent came filled with angels and alleluias? Wouldn't it be perfect if we greeted, if we were greeted on these December mornings with a hovering of heavenly hosts, tuning their harps and brushing up on their fa-la-las? Wouldn't it be incredible if their music filled our waking hours with the promise of peace on earth? And if each Advent night we dreamed of nothing but goodwill, wouldn't it, we be ecstatic if we could take those angels shopping or trim the tree or have them hold our hands and dance through our houses decorating? And oh, how glorious it would be to sit in church next to an angel and sing our Hark the Heralds. What an advent that would be. What a Christmas spirit we could have. An angel-filled advent has so many possibilities. But in lieu of that, perhaps we can give thanks for the good earthly joys we have been given and for the earthly angels that we know who do such a good job of filling our Advent with alleluias. So I don't know about you, but I love the story of John the Baptist. It's one of those stories that gets us thinking what it means to be different. Now, somebody who will remain nameless, she's sitting back there, said that the best thing for a cough is honey and lemon in hot water, which I have in a little thing over here. So when I think of John the Baptist doing the wild honey thing, that doesn't bother me so much. And for us to turn up our noses at eating locusts. I, for one, have eaten dried grasshoppers, known as chapulinos in Mexico, and they're kind of nasty, but they are crunchy, and they're not horrible. And they went down, so it was okay. So we make fun of things we don't understand. And when I was visiting in Japan, my, hu my husband, oh, um, my brother-in-law took us to a restaurant and we were eating tempura and teriyaki stuff. And he said, do you know what you're eating? And I said, no, but it's really, really good. And he said, you're eating shrimp heads. And I thought, okay, they're very, very good. And we have these already strange ideas in our heads about what we will and we will not eat. We have ideas about what's good and what isn't good. Now there's certain things that are always going to be on my good list. Chocolate, anybody else with me on the chocolate? I have three out of four grandchildren that do not eat chocolate. True. But there are things that are at the bottom of my list as well. Things that I've come to enjoy as I get older. So I'm not quite willing to say that locusts and wild honey is a horrible thing. 
And the fact that he wore something with a leather belt, um, anybody here got a leather belt on? Number of people probably do. What difference does it make? And I would give my left arm, not my right arm, but my left arm for a camel hair coat. I really would. So why do we make fun of John the Baptist being this oddball, out proclaiming the good news to come? We have to remember that John himself was an unexpected child, born to a family that was told they were always going to be barren, born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, who had no expectation of having a child. And so now they have this bouncing baby boy and are thrilled and love abounds in their household. Who can look at a baby and say, yuck? Who can look at a brand new baby and not see love and potential and possibility and all the beauty that's there? I had the privilege of being present when my first grandchild was born. There were a lot of tears in that room, but they were all tears of joy. We look at babies and see that this is God's promise, that the world isn't going to end tomorrow. We love those babies long before they're born. It's one way of our explaining prevenient grace is that God loves us before we even know about God. God loves us before we even know that God exists. And we love our children before they're born. It's not that hard a concept to grasp. But loving people who are different from us is really, really hard. We forget that Jesus was different. Jesus wasn't a run-of-the-mill dude. Jesus was an oddball. Jesus did what other people wouldn't do. Jesus spoke the truth to power, not a very popular stance. Jesus did all of that because he knew it was important. He risked being different. I have teenage grandchildren who will go out of their way to be just like everybody else. They don't want to be different. They want to blend in with the crowd. They want to be one of the gang. They want to belong. They want to fit in. Emily asked me not too long ago, why did I ever become a pastor? Do you know how embarrassing it is to have to tell your friends that your grandma's a pastor? And I said to her, gee, I would have consulted with you if you'd been around, but that happened long before you were even a thought. And I said, why would it embarrass you to tell your friends that your grandma's a pastor? Was a dancer, would that be weird? Depends on what kind of dancing grandma. 
I said, what if I, what if I was a, you know, like a long distance runner? She said, well, that'd be kind of cool, Grandma. And I said, so what, what difference does it make what Grandma does? I said, you will find out in your life, young lady, that when God tells you to do something, you can dodge it for as long as you try, but God is going to get God's own way. I can promise that. So if God is tickling you to do something, listen. Listen to God's message. We pretend that nothing is happening in our lives. We pretend that we don't see any hand of God in our lives. But if we're attentive, we will see God in everything around us. We will always be seeing God. I woke up in the middle of the night last night, which is nothing unusual for me. And I had a cat laying right next to me, purring. Now why a cat would purr in the middle of the night is beyond me. I haven't figured that out yet. But it was the most comforting thing to feel, this little going on right next to my belly. And I wondered if the cat knows I don't feel good. Did the cat have some kind of intuition that I needed to be comforted in that moment? I don't know. But if I can love a little four-legged furball, I could love just about anything. And we think we have to compartmentalize all of that. In this time of Advent, when we anticipate Jesus the Christ coming into our lives again, instead of being ho-hum about, oh man, we did this before, Let's think about what can we see new about God this year? Where can we see something unexpected this year? Where can something be different this year? I don't know why it is. Advent is my favorite season of the church. I get excited about it. And if it wasn't Advent, I seriously wouldn't be here. But it's Advent, and I didn't want to miss a Sunday in Advent because it's exciting for me. Because I do anticipate something new. I'm here with new people. I can see something different is going to happen here that hasn't happened in other places I've been. Look for what might be new. Look for something different. Find a new person to open your heart to. Find a new person to love. It's not hard. It really isn't hard. Open your heart and open your eyes and love will follow. Jesus told us all about this love and we didn't pay any attention because we didn't understand it. I was thinking back about the first time I was able to celebrate communion. In the church I grew up in, we weren't allowed to take communion 
until we'd already been confirmed. And our confirmation got convoluted because the pastor died in the middle of it, and we had another pastor come in and finish up. But when it came time for me to have my first communion, we stood in front of the church, we were wearing robes, it was all very exciting and very new. And they handed us this little tiny cube of bread and this little tiny cup of wine, and it was wine. And we ate the bread, and the wine was something horrible. It burned all the way down. I don't know much about wine, but it was really uncomfortable. And I, was, I don't know what I was expecting, but nobody had told me that. And afterwards I thought, really? That's what it's all about? That's what the mystery is? Yuck. And I talked to the priest, it was an Episcopal priest who had finished our confirmation class. And I said, what, what's so special about that? What is so special? Why do people get so excited about communion when all it is is this nasty little crumb of bread and this bitter tasting wine? And he said, wow. Big questions from the girl. And he said, it's not about what it is that you hold in your hand. It's about what it becomes when you put it in your body. He said, that bread symbolizes the love of Jesus the Christ who came into the world to save us all. And he said, that nasty cup of wine, he said, if you didn't like that, he said, think of all the people in the world who have given their lives so that you can live where you are, you can love who you want to love, you can be who you are. That's what Jesus did for all of us. He said, so it's not, gee, it's the bread in the cup. It's what it becomes. So I invite you to think about what this will become for you. What this means for you. How it is that you will find the love of Jesus the Christ in these simple bread and cup. Jesus took this bread after he had spent his last night with people and told them that this was his body, this is my body broken for you. Each and every time you eat of it, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you drink of it, remember me. And so we remember Jesus. We remember that there is meaning here for us. And so we ask God to bless this bread and this cup and to bless all of us gathered here that we might become 
Jesus' hands and feet in a hurting world, that we might come to know love and peace, that we might look for what holds us together, not for what divides us. We pray these and all things in the name of the Christ, 